I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a top-notch San Francisco-based Freudian psychiatrist called Sam Foster. His latest patient is me, Danny Moran. I'm a timid young man who suffers from frightening and horrific childhood memories. These include images of my drunken father and his death in a fire for which I wasn't blamed. One night, a woman called Heather Evans, who claims to be my sister, enters Sam's office and asks for information about my mental health. Sam starts to psychoanalyze Heather about her childhood, hoping that it might provide information which I'm suppressing. Not long after, Heather seduces Sam and a steamy love affair follows. However, there is a problem. Heather is married to Jimmy Evans, a violent and wealthy Greek gangster. She also has a way of embarrassing Jimmy in public by taking a sip of wine and then flipping into an attack of pathological intoxication, which often ends with a restaurant in shambles. It turns out that Heather is trying to involve the unsuspecting Sam in a plan to murder Jimmy and collect 4 million double indemnity life insurance policy on him. She's also using me as bait and wants Sam framed for murder, is what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of the classic film Final Analysis. This, in fact, is a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me is a man who knows that sometimes a cigar is just my dad's dick. I mean, cigar. <laughs> Sam Foster. Where did you dig that movie up? It won. It was nominated for a Razzie. Uh, yeah, you, you go to the Razzies. I go to the Razzies. You go to the Razzies. If you want to hear my next 20 uh, introductions, just read Wikipedia. Yeah. And beat me you to see it. what's coming up. Hello. Hello. Uh, we are wearing tuxes. And we won't be changing out of them for at least a month because it is prestige film season. Every movie coming out is bursting with heart, dripping with pathos, and positively spewing high-minded sentiment. It's a bit gross. Uh, This week, we're reviewing two of these gleaming marvels, Dev Patel's search for his long-lost family in Lion, and Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone's search for the cutest dress and suit combination in history in the fun-packed musical La La Land. We also discuss Hollywood's latest obsession, CGI necromancy. We ask whether the magic of cinema can make professional footballers less shit at their jobs. And we brainstorm terrifying portmanteaus. Um, All that should leave just enough time for me to explain to Danny why he should love jazz. I'll be breathlessly evangelizing its wonders, from its history to its form to its performance conventions, all with such infectious enthusiasm Danny will be unable to resist just abruptly getting up and leaving and cutting off all contact with me forever. You see, the thing about jazz is they're sort of making it up, but also not making it up. And it started in New Orleans where people didn't speak the language, so they had to invent a new language, and that language was the language of jazz. (laughs) That's part of why I love jazz so much. Films, films, films. 
films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. He's good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, Lars von Trier films, old films, new films, some John Woo films, films that star Peter Fitch, films by David Lynch, films short, films six hours long. We've got films up to your gills with films, 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 movies. Are you feeling comfortable? Film chat has begun. Okay, we've got a guest to welcome to the podcast. James Andrews, long-time correspondee, first-time guest. Hello. Hi, James. Thanks for being on with us. It's fine. Um, I feel like a competition winner. Yeah. In case any listeners want to know how to get on film chat, it's simple. You just listen a lot, write in a lot, <laughs> and you just be personal friends I've with us. in for about six months. Which you all are. Yeah, the main thing is that you we're close personal friends. <laughs> it's because I get all my film inspiration from you guys. Yeah, that certainly helps. Um, so... You, you will be, I guess, offering comments, you know, like sort of mm. diving in whenever you feel appropriate. Don't wait for <laughs> cues. Just if you, you know. Speak when not spoken to. Exactly. Just yeah. just speak. <laughs> all right. We're Mike Hoggs and you've got to wrest it from us. Otherwise, you'll just be sitting there in silence and it will be like more of a sort of atmosphere guest. <laughs> and we'll just, <laughs> we'll just have to remember that you were there. Yeah. Christopher Young has written in. He <laughs> says, hello, film chatters. I sure did miss you over the holidays. That's nice. Thank Me you. Me too as well, actually. <laughs> Thanks, James. That's why I'm here. Thanks, James. Uh, I enjoyed this story about Manchester City's underperforming team being taken out to see La La Land in a bid to reverse their fortunes. <laughs> Struck me as an odd choice, but if you had to turn a struggling team of folks around, what would you show them? So he linked us to a story about the manager of Manchester City, Pep Guardiola, taking the entire team out to see the movie La La Land after they had lost 4-0 at Everton. Ish. <laughs> Yeesh. Woo! Having seen La La Land, I'm not sure if that was the movie to take them to. I would have le- I would have been like I would have it would have been a 5-0 after I got to see it, I think. Have they played their next game yet? I don't know. That's a good they question. They lost 9-0. <laughs> 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 yeah, I don't know. Might um, feel better about their career choices. I guess so. I'll be like, at least we're not in the movie business. <laughs> terrible. Um, so I guess you want a film which is inspiring about underdogs. Like, so what, like, it's going to be like Mighty Ducks or something? Yeah, like Mighty Ducks, but is that like a football <laughs> version of Mighty Ducks? The movie Goal? Well, football is one of those things which is like not had that many great films made about it, right? Yeah. That its cultural prominence has not been matched in cinematic quality. It's true. Escape from victory. Escape from victory? Escape to victory. Escape to victory. You were to escape from it. Escape from victory was the depressing sequel. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Um, Yeah, show them escape to victory. Why not? Yeah. That's got actual footballers in it. That's a very stirring tale where they like... The thing that's so great about escape to victory is that... um, Do you know the movie, James? Nope. Don't know it. Great. It's your immediate audience proxy. Yeah. I can remind you for his fan. So Escape to Vichy is... uh, It's a sort of classic, like, Sunday afternoon old film that you'll find on the TV a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's basically about a a football team that is formed amongst prisoners of war during World War II. And in the movie, they're played by partly um, famous footballers like Pele Mm -hmm. and partly by famous (laughs) actors like Sylvester Stallone. And uh, the climax of the film involves them playing a game of football against some Nazis. 
while also enacting their scheme to escape, you know, the camp, which is obviously more important. But they decide to, rather than escape, they go back to finish the game (laughs) so that they can both defeat the Nazis at football and and then leave as well. And then leave as well. Yeah, which they do do. The game is the escape plan, the one specific game. They have a plan to escape at half time, I think. Mm. And they're ready to escape, but they're so invested in the game, they're like, we've got to finish the game. And it, the whole movie is about how football is more important than beating the Nazis or something. Yeah. So or the only way you can treat it. for Manchester City? The football's really important and fun don't and escape. also rewarding. <laughs> and don't escape halfway through. <laughs> Stick it out. I don't know. Yeah. Do you have any other any other thoughts? Um, I think the movie Chocolat. <laughs> Why? It's just it's just delightful. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. James, do you have any? What delights you? Uh, no, I don't know. No thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) you can tell it's the guy's first time. No, that's all right. It would put you on the spot. And And also, we both read this question like days ago and have had time to think about it. And we only mentioned it to you like one second ago. Mm. Superhero films announced Casting rumours leaking out M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped Matt Damon's in a viral vid Michael Bay's made a mint That's the news that's been to print So We're very woke on this podcast Despite the fact there are three guys here We wish there were three more women here as well to make it a gender balanced podcast we <laughs> hope there was we really hope there was a lot more ladies oh yeah you're right if you say like too if you say too many then it just sounds we want too many women here. patriarchal so there'd be ideal number of about five we want five women here and uh, if you're a woman and want to be on the podcast right in one. equal plus one four, so four women four yeah. women uh woke means like uh, just aware of you know progressive identity also. issues and stuff you know Oh yeah. It means like, that it means that you're super. You means you understand your own privilege and uh, you, yeah. you know, okay. yeah. So, uh, a woman, Olivia Waring, linked us to this article, uh, which analysed the films made in 2016 and showed that only 27% of the dialogue featured was spoken by ladies, a depressing figure. And despite the leading roles for uh, like Felicity Jones in Rogue One or Michael Robbie in Suicide Squad, that still hasn't made up the gap. And the the most gender balanced film was Finding Dory, which is good considering Dory is a lady and the main, the main character. character. Yeah. But the movie would have needed eight more speaking female roles to become gender balanced, <laughs> <laughs> which is a bit depressing. Yeah. I think what's quite interesting about this is that the movies it cites, like Suicide Squad and Rogue One, got a lot of positive press for being so diverse. Uh, diverse. But then you think for a second, it's like, wait a second, Felicity Jones was the only woman in that film. Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah. No, it's um, true. Like it's it's, it's it's racially diverse, but it's the gender-wise, neither of those. I mean, it's particularly, <laughs> well, I don't know. The um, Rogue One is very prom- like it's very obvious that like there are no women in this film. It's just like Felicity Jones and uh, the woman who's in Star Wars, Mon um, Mothma. Mon Mothma, and then in Suicide Squad, all the women are like mega sexualized, and there's not that many of them except for Viola Davis, uh, who has the only good female character. Yeah, it's true. I mean, all these. It's I guess these reports are useful because they sort of statistically fling in your face the um, inequalities that exist. But yeah, it's all pretty clear. How did you? How what does it say? Eight more people in Finding Dory, more women. How's that figured out? 
Well, it just says that to be equal, you need eight more female speaking roles. Equivalence as a roles. I think that the the sort of story is a mix of the number of female <laughs> speaking roles and also the okay. percentage of dialogue spoken okay. by women, and it kind of measures both things. So it's got 43% female characters, so less than 50% female characters, but like the... Uh, the, Dory, the proportion of female dialogue is 53% because Dory says a lot of dialogue. Oh. So the way to... It does have a lot. Yeah, this. it must have a lot of characters, I think. It must be like 100 characters. Yeah, 100 characters. <laughs> so if Hollywood would only make a movie with like one prominent female role and a bunch of guys... Yeah. If only there was a successful book about a bunch of mute guys and a fast-talking woman with like explosions and shit. You know what I'm oh, saying? you mean to like solve the dialogue problem? Exactly. <laughs> they would bankroll that, but but you know, only one woman speaking. She has all the lines, and everyone else is mute. So, <laughs> no one would watch it. Well, you mean it's like a dystopian film where yeah. a plague strikes all women dead and all men mute. Yes, and <laughs> apart from one woman, apart from one, and she's got to solve. You know, she's got to find the cure. It's like yeah. I am Legend, but all the zombies are just mute men. <laughs> <laughs> and instead of Will Smith, it's a woman. Yeah, mute man. Yeah. Maybe it'd be a utopia. It'd be like a sort of... It'd be like what women want, but... Uh... Crossed with, it's like what women want crossed with I Am Legend. That's your pitch. <laughs> yeah. That's a great elevator pitch. Actually, maybe what women want would probably feature <laughs> quite highly because he's always hearing women's voices, voices. all the time. Yeah. And hey. they, are they? Have you seen it, right? Yeah. Are they always confirming stereotypes about women? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I've seen that several They think, several they think times, a lot. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit... I imagine it'd be quite strange to watch it now, Mel Gibson's you know true colors have been shown and like what women want is like ah, you, you know uh <laughs> they want breast implants and he really disapproves yeah <laughs> he want breast it looks implants. stupid it looks stupid don't you think there would be there could genuinely be quite a good remake of what women want where like women just thinking the craziest shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, they're all fucking nuts they're all they're all their thoughts are absolutely yeah. like absolutely off the wall and they insane. can all they can all hear each other's thoughts but <laughs> and they're all plotting yeah, against exactly, us yeah, all the exactly. time <laughs> that, that's exactly what it would be that it's like it's one guy who only has women speaking they're all talking <laughs> to each other and they're talking absolute gibberish and it's like yeah it's just crazy evil gibberish no i thought it'd be the idea that's like men can never truly empathize with women. So, like, even though he can hear their thoughts, he just can't understand them because they're on, like, a level above him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like men are from Mars, women are from Venus, and he can hear Venusian, but he can't understand it. Right. So what, it's like an alien language? Yeah. It's like you're just on such a higher plane of intelligence and empathy. It's just that... like a string of, like, pops and clicks. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like, sort of like, like dolphin sound. <laughs> like whale song. <laughs> Like <laughs> the movie is still called "What Women Want." Yeah, <laughs> and it's him like he's trying to work it out. It's like Arrival. Yeah, he's got a he's he's listening to women's absolutely indecipherable thoughts. Yeah, it goes to like a language professor. Yeah, he's got his whole setup. He's got like a board, like cork board, covered with drawings and yeah, like yeah. dialogue, trying to understand women's thoughts. Yeah, and it turns out they just want to, you know be heard at meetings and stuff exactly they just want to you know, they just want to just want respect they just want respect <laughs> find out what it means to me yeah I, I genuinely think that we should pro- abandon the podcast to make this film. green light it guys <laughs> hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Last week on the podcast, we reviewed the latest Martin Scorsese film, Silence. And Scorsese is already getting together his next project. It is called The Irishman. It will reunite him with the legendary dirty grandpa himself, Robert De Niro, a man whose <laughs> career has achieved unimaginable um, pinnacles recently. Yeah. Since he ditched Scorsese, he's gone from strength to strength. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was holding undeniable. him back. Yeah. We thought he was putting him forward, but he was actually holding him back. So The Irishman revolves around the exploits of a notorious hitman, an Irish man, if you would. And... Uh, <laughs> Apparently, they want to use the sexy new CGI technology that can make anyone any age at any time to de-age Robert De Niro and return him to a time when he could like act better. And that will, <laughs> <laughs> that will presumably make the film a success. I guess Scorsese had this idea when he was watching like Meet the Fockers 4 or something. And he was like, I've got to get back to 70s De Niro. And fortunately, the magic of uh, computers will allow me to do so. According to the playlist, back in 2015, De Niro revealed that Scorsese was looking at using technology like that used in The Curious Case of Benjamin Button to make himself and others in the cast look younger. And now it still looks like they're examining it. Every movie now features actors at completely random and bizarre ages. Sure. I think like my favorite example in recent times, uh, certainly before Rogue One came out, is the opening scene of Ant-Man in which like every actor is playing like some random bizarre other age. Like Hayley Atwell's playing like an 80-year-old woman and like... Um, Michael Douglas is Michael playing, Douglas is playing like, like a forty-year-old forty-year-old man. It's like it's absolutely bizarre. They're all standing in like this like um, unadorned grey room with all these like random CGI ages, um, and yeah. And then there was the recent uh, very curious example of Rogue One, which we now decided that we can spoil since the movie's been out for a couple of weeks. Have you seen it? No. Do you give a shit? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, they resurrected Peter Cushing in the form of Grand Moff Tarkin, his character from the original Star Wars. He's dead, but he's in the film. His face is in it. His voice is in it. He's walking around. He looks like he's made of some kind of shiny cool? computer wax. Well, <laughs> it did. It, there was definitely cool. some... He's getting paid for that. Uh, uh, the actor Guy Henry and the Peter Cushing estate. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it is uncanny. And it's like, you literally watch, it's like this walking, talking, $50 million, whatever. And it's very strange. The, the effect of it is very uncanny. Although I have heard uh, anecdotes from people who didn't notice and just thought Peter what? Cushing was still alive. It seems a bit hard to... Like glaucoma or something? I mean, <laughs> it's fucking nuts. It definitely didn't seem real. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that like, this has actually been kind of true since The Matrix Reloaded when filmmakers decided they could do stuff with CGI that they just simply cannot do when they have a fight scene the matrix is famously incredible fight choreography turned into just like a computer video game sequence mm. um and uh they keep doing that um and it doesn't look completely real well uh, and it's always a bit well the weird. thing is like even if they you know spent gajillions of dollars and made De Niro convincing look like a 20 year old your brain is still going to think that guy is like 70. You'll be looking for the cracks, right? Yeah, the whole exactly. Time. Like, you yeah. won't be able to relax into the film. You'll be just like, what the fuck is going on? Mm. It'd be mental. I remember Empire Magazine, I think around the time of Avatar, they they had a conversation with uh, Spielberg, Robert Zemeckis, 
and James Cameron. Spielberg is just one word. I don't say Steven Spielberg. Just Spielberg. <laughs> uh, and they like sort of, you know, did a transcript of them talking about the limits of technology and how exciting it was. And then like Steven Spielberg says something which really stuck with me. It's like, with this technology, you can have like Jack Nicholson playing a 12 year old boy. And I was like, <laughs> and I was, like that what? is the most, is it? that's <laughs> the most terrifying thing I can think of. Yeah. Like Jack Nicholson, like 80 coked up days, like, hey man, I'm 12 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like maybe just cast a 12 year old boy yeah well, your brain fills in the gaps if the, you're someone else is, is absolutely playing. i think that it's it, never it's never a thing which which crosses your mind twice i i think that it, i don't know it's hard to say because i don't know how like um how other people watch films but i definitely feel like if i can tell there's an effect that you can sense the presence of it mm. if they're just wearing makeup then you're like okay, it's, there's some shit on a normal person's face. But if it's totally CGI, I feel like there's an extra level of uncanny. I really know. don't like it, actually. I don't like it. Um, and I also feel like it's a way to... It draws attention to itself. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's also a way to perpetuate um, like sexism and stuff because you can just get young women to play old women convincingly. <laughs> you don't even need... you know, Why cast yeah. an 80-year-old woman when you can just have Hayley Atwell play her? <laughs> exactly. Um, it's a bit weird. It sounds it sounds weird. Don't sounds do it, Scorsese. Well, I don't know. I think I'd get a lot of entertainment out of it. I want to see like young De Niro walking around. But surely, like every young actor can do a approximation of De Niro, right? Yeah. He's such an icon. Paul just, Rudd does it in Knocked Up. Yeah, I'm just you can't cast Paul Rudd. I'm gonna, is he going to do an Irish accent? That would be entertaining. If it's like a CGI twenty-year-old De Niro trying to do an Irish accent, <laughs> is that this voice, become the it's best? It's just going to be the voice of the guy who plays Moriarty in the Sherlock TV series. <laughs> Andrew Scott. Andrew Scott. Yeah, just dubbed over. Hello. Uh, dubbed over a fully CGI hey, Robert De Niro. C- CGI I'll eat well. your brain with a fork. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm so camp. Oh, I'll fucking kill you. Yeah. Nothing. He's yeah. got those two modes. It's a good character. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um. Bottom yeah, <laughs> it's going to be arriving in 2018, so we get to uh, see. I think it'll be good because we can directly compare the acting of old Scorsese looking young with young Scorsese looking young. You know, from classic films. Do you know it'd be terrible to decide if he actually has become worse? Well, it's better. Yeah, I mean that would be great. Be a great way to demonstrate it. But what if it's a fucking disaster and they both die immediately afterwards? They're both really old, and the last like they did like a string of like eight. Very well-regarded collaborations. Some yeah. of them are just deemed masterpieces. And the last one they made was this mm. weird CGI, like, fucking Uncanny Valley, nowhere yeah. movie. Well, it does say here that it's the sequel to Righteous Kill. Oh, so. Do you think if he dies in the middle of it, they'll just CGI him in? Yeah, sure. They'll probably CG- If Scorsese dies in the middle of it, they'll just CGI the director in. <laughs> I, guess, I guess once they scan in De Niro, they just got him on fire. They, got him. Right? Yeah, they just plug him into the next film. Else. You don't need it. You can make any all the dirty grandpa the films you want. Where are the limits? Once De Niro dies, they're just going to make a million dirty grandpa films where as CGI De Niro jacks off in an armchair, just like soiling his memory forever in this super dystopian. Also, Black Mirror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Black Mirror. Black Mirror. Technology is bad. Don't de-age De Niro. That's what I say. That's the that's the campaign I'm trying to start. It's, like, it's the famous film chat triple D campaign. Yeah. Don't de-age De Niro. <laughs> don't don't de-age De Niro. <laughs> and now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it astoundingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. So, Lion. I'm still working through the films I saw at the LFF, and Lion was one of them. 
It is. That's the London Film Festival. Yeah, I'm pretty cool, so I don't even bother saying the whole thing. Just use abbreviations. So this is the debut film of director Garth Davis and is written by Luke Davies based upon the non-fiction book A Long Way Home by Saru Brearley and Larry Buttrose. Pretty funny name. He's called Buttrose. <laughs> it might be Buttrose. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally spelled B-U-T-T-R-O-S-E. So it is Buttrose. He's Buttrose. I know, but I don't know if he's been bullied all his life and he might <laughs> listen to this. Yeah. Poor Buttrose. So the synopsis is, in India, five-year-old Saru, played by newcomer Sonny Power, gets lost on a train which takes him thousands of miles across India from his home village and his family. And Saroon must learn to survive alone in Kolkata before ultimately being adopted by Australian couple played by Nicole Kidman and David Wenham. And then the film's in two halves, so it flashes forward 25 years and Saroon is now played by Dev Patel and armed with only a handful of memories, his unwavering determination and a revolutionary new technology known as Google Earth. He sets out to find his family and return to his homestead. And uh, so it's a film in two halves, and this is a clip from the second half where Saru is becoming obsessed with finding his family and has become very distant and depressed. And so his girlfriend, played by Rooney Mara, confronts him about it. Saru, you need to face reality. What do you mean, reality? Do you have any idea what it's like knowing my real brother and mother spend every day of their lives looking for me? Huh? How every day my real brother screams my name. Can you imagine the pain they must be in not knowing where I am? Huh? 25 years, loose. 25! When I saw, like, the post of this movie, I was like, this is my mum's kind of film. And I was like, I was expecting a certain kind of mawkish, sentimental film, but it really won me over. I think yeah. it's really good. And it's a very emotionally engaging story that kept me invested all the way through. And I think key to the film's success is its structure. Because it doesn't put upon like a framing device. It's just one half about young Saru and one half about old Saru. And the first half is like a really tense thriller because it taps into that childlike fear of being lost in the supermarket and, uh, you know, can't find your mum, but on a ridiculously huge and terrifying scale. And it's obviously very tense watching this little kid in a metropolis uh, in modern India, which is... I don't know, I'm just, there's obvious comparison with Slumdog Millionaire because Deb Patel's in it, but they're both very Dickensian in their depiction of modern India. It's like Victorian London. There are gangs everywhere, crime everywhere. You're lucky to survive one day there without being kidnapped or put yeah. into sex trafficking or something. And dedicating so much time to young Saru makes the whole film work because you become instantly invested in him because how can you not be invested in this little kid? Obviously, you're like, I hope this little kid is okay because... I mean, because, you must, you must be a sociopath if you didn't <laughs> think that. And after this very tense first half, it's a bit of a relief for 25 years ago past. And you're like, okay, Saru's not in any physical danger. He's, right, he's a sexy He's man a now. sexy Australian surfer dude. And the tenseness of the first half allows the second half to be a bit slower and lets it breathe a little bit more. And as an audience member, you're willing to give it the patience to sort of just, just be. And because there's so little plot going on, that's kind of why it works. So the second half takes this interesting turn to being this kind of emotional family drama about identity and adoption and the issues around it. And one of the interesting bits, which isn't really featured in the trailer, is that the Australian couple adopt another kid from India called uh, Mantosh, who's played by this British actor, Divian Ladwa, who is much more troubled than Saru. And uh, his storyline is really interesting because I think if this was a fictional story, he wouldn't be in it because 
the film is not really about him it's about saru but they obviously can't airbrush him from the film because it's a true story so they dedicate enough time i think enough time you can dedicate to this character without the film becoming lopsided and his story is a bit sadder and he's obviously got some ptsd and some issues but i thought it was cool that the story dealt with that and showed that like adoption isn't a case of you just like order a kid and he's like a sort of beaming five-year-old and it's all happy families <laughs> yeah and yeah. i've just missed the nappy changing stage and now i have my little sort of kid and it you know it didn't pull its punches emotionally in those scenes which was very impressive and these scenes work because the performances are universally awesome nicole kimman and david wenham are really great nicole gets a bit more to do because she's the sort of matriarchal figure and there's the whole thing about he's missing his original mother and he's got this other mother. But they do a really good job of sketching out their characters with quite little screen time. And there's just something very noble and cool about this, this couple. You know, it's a very awesome thing to adopt these underprivileged kids. And it's just a bit we- it's just a bit uh, inspiring. Everyone was crying in the screening I saw. Oh, really, were they? Yeah, because it's like, yeah, it's just nice people being nice is very uh, tear-inducing. And Dev Patel, I think, is the best he's been in a film. There's something intrinsically very likable about him as an actor. And I think he gives a lot of weight to scenes where he's not actually doing much because he's got to communicate all this eternal struggle. But he's got to do that while just clicking on Google Earth. And there's only so compelling you can make that. And I think he, he does it as best as it can be done. And I would say the second half does drag a bit in that, you know a man looking at Google Earth is only so interesting. And, <laughs> <laughs> and after the first super tense sort of chase around India's slums, you know, the sort of gear switch does drag a little bit, but that, you know, maybe that's just a sort of natural, it's just a necessary part of the movie. And then the ending is quite quick in a way which must be quite accurate to what actually happened. There's no, like, once he's found them, he's found them. And the ending does, uh, you know, the, the music amps up and the melodrama kicks in a little bit. But I feel it kind of, it, it earns it. It's like, why not have some musical beats and close-ups? Yeah. I'm already crying. You, you know, fi- fair enough, movie. And it's definitely a film that's been marketed as an incredible true story. And that is something of an epidemic this time of year. Every movie that comes out is an incredible true story. And I find that often those types of films lean on that in a way which excuses the actual film it's like the film itself isn't very good but it is based on a story which is awesome so yeah cry go away and read the newspaper article on him exactly but i think in the case of lion it's so uh, sincerely put together that it earns its sentiment so i was very i can i know it, it, it won me over i went in thinking it was going to be one type of movie but it was very genuinely put together and uh it's very emotionally affecting it's hard not to be yeah, so I would recommend. Really my mum wants to see it. Hmm. I'm gonna go take my mum to see it. Oh yeah, yeah. Sounds like you're gonna take mom. your mum to see it. Gonna sure, take James' mum to see it. You take, guys can come if you want. Take the mums out. <laughs> Simon and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they? Okay, La La Land. It's one of the big Oscar frontrunners. It is a modern set LA musical that evokes a lot of classic Hollywood musicals. 
and stars Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone, directed by Damien Chazelle, and also written by him, um, who is the director of Whiplash. And um, it has had everyone talking, got a really good reception on the festival circuit, and uh, yeah, since become one of the films that people are looking forward to um, as maybe a big Oscar hit. So we went to see it. Um, we've all seen it. We've all seen it. James I included. saw it. Yeah. We all thought it was bad. So this terrible. Is, this is going to be a, you know, a. It's going to be a back la la lash. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I've been sitting on that for hours. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. It's going to be like that. We'll get to puncture the consensus. Be the kind of hot take alternate guys that. It's divided we, opinion. Isn't we it? want to be. Oh well, they, I think there's been a minor backlash. The, the main negative things that I'd heard about it revolved around these um, sort of race element. Um, There's some serious problematic race stuff. Ha- it being problematic, <laughs> but it has many issues on that. Anyway, before we get fully into it, here is a clip from early on in the film. The beautiful Ryan Gosling and the lovely Emma Stone are out on a beautiful night. They look great. Everything looks great. And they're singing. And it's cute. And here it is. Some other girl guy would love this swirling sky but there's only you and i and we've got no shot this could never be you're not the type for me and there's not a spark inside what a a waste of a lovely night so I felt like this movie should not have had to do that much to win me over. I really like Ryan Gosling. I'm a fully paid up Gosling fan. I know that it's a cliche that men love Ryan Gosling. I love Ryan Gosling. But I genuinely I do. fucking love I Ryan love Gosling. I love musicals as well. We all love Ryan Gosling. I like Emma Stone. I, Emma Stone I like, is also very charming and, and also be, a very good actress. You know, I agree. I don't think it, would, it had to do much to win me over. Yeah. And there are there, there are good things about it. Um, not that many. Well, I think it's an impressive technical achievement. I think that there's a lot of sequences that are quite complex and they're very well pulled off. It's directed quite well, I think. It's very like, it's a very skilled piece of filmmaking. It's very slick. And I think it goes a bit overboard on the like zoom, like the rapid zoom in tracking shots. I didn't like them. They made me dizzy. Yeah, they, that's just because I was sitting in the third row. I don't know, but it was it was overdoing them. But in general, I thought it was quite um, it was quite well done. I think the leads are very good. Ryan Gosling is saddled with a bit of an unfortunate character. He's a kind of sulky jazz snob, and by rights should be like a totally unbearable bell end. But he's very charming, and he has some like um, like he's just naturally very charming. He has some good sort of like funny lines and stuff that work for him. And Emma Stone has even less character than he has. Uh, she's just a nice person who loves to act or something, but she is basically acting the shit out of every single scene. And a lot of the movie is tries to produce great weight by basically zooming in on her face while she yeah. acts. And she does a really good job in those bits and like almost sells it to you. Mm. Um, basically, the, the plot is that uh, Ryan Gosling is a jazz pianist. She is an aspiring actress. They're both sort of dewy-eyed, hopeful dreamers in the City of Angels, um, wanting to make it. And uh, then they encounter each other and then they bicker and then they fall in love, et cetera, et cetera, and try to pursue their dreams of acting in jazz um, as life intervenes. And, sure, so and, so nothing forth. Much else and it's happens, like, not so. much else happens, but it's like, it's like a musical and there are um, songs that interject, interject into it. So I think that like, 
it's a very interesting film in a way in that it's very symptomatic of a kind of modern malaise with filmmaking at the moment, um, especially blockbuster filmmaking, but it's obviously filtering down into prestige kind of Oscar filmmaking as well, uh, which is an, an obsession with the power of nostalgia and also with just pure affect, like just trying to produce a response from moment to moment without any sense of how these like add up into a coherent whole. And um, La La Land is a particularly odd example of this because it is nostalgic for a period which its 31-year-old director was not alive for. Uh, so it's trying to sort of evoke something that we would, you know, was from a past age where we did not, were not alive. Mm. Um, so it's just more like the experience of watching some classic Hollywood musicals that we didn't watch and wants to like evoke that. But there is something about that approach which feels intrinsically hollow i think because nostalgia functions in this movie in a rather similar way to um how don draper talks about it in mad men when he's selling the uh, carousel thing to kodak where it is essentially it's essentially an advertising tool which is a shortcut way to establish an emotional bond um with an audience in a kind of sly way like without them really realizing that you're doing it you know when Kodak is selling their, you know, carousel thing or whatever, like, they don't actually care about your, like, you know, childhood or whatever. They just want you to buy the thing. But it, if it's effective when you're watching the advert, you feel like they do. And there's an element of dishonesty to it. And this movie has a very similar sense, I think, where it's like the story is, like, paper thin. The stakes are incredibly low. The characters are very sketchily drawn. There's, like, plot issues. Like, no- nothing really hangs together um and uh and you can tell throughout but it still puts on this front of being a film which is um a heart swelling like musical but actually it's like vaudeville it's like it's like going to the circus in that there's a lot of impressive performances being put on but it's not honest enough with you to just tell you that that's what it is Mm. and it reminded me a bit of um like if you go to see a movie like gravity you know, all you want to see is some crazy, exciting space shit. And that's what you get. Sure. And that's, you know, that's fine. There's but an in honesty this, there. There's an honesty there. And in this movie, you're not just seeing fun dancing. You're seeing a love story. But the love story is not, like, they don't bother to, they don't even bother with it. No. The, the love story consists of great suits, acute dress, <clears throat> smiling and quips, and things that are delightful in the moment. And it is, rather than telling a story, it's references and excitement and verve. And in, in, in place of sense, it just has moments. And in, from moment to moment, it is constantly trying to uh, just create a feeling of delight. But because it doesn't add up to anything, you're left feeling like, eh? Yeah, it's like empty calories. It's, it's like empty it's calories. Like fast food. Yeah, but it, but it, <laughs> but it's fast food, like packaged as you know, yeah, yeah. restaurant like top Michelin star fare. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think it's that that rare to have things that are kind of that empty, but it doesn't have that kind of self knowing nod to it. No, I mean, it's it, it seems it to present as very sincere. Yeah, like it presents as very sincere. sincere. Yeah, and I think as I also was thinking that. I wouldn't necessarily mind all those things if it was just like throwback nostalgia with great songs, but there's basically no songs in it. I can't remember any of the songs. Well, this is another problem. I think this is like the score is. It's is not, not just good. that it's not just that the score isn't that great, but I think that there's like another con- there's a conceptual issue with it. Mm. And in classic in the classic musicals that it's referencing, songs are things that erupt at moments of particular passion, mm. and 
they have an emotional drive to them and like a purpose to them, which is to tell you more about the characters or to advance the story. Whereas in La La Land, the only purpose to the songs is to produce a feeling in the audience. Mm. And so in the clip that we played earlier, you know, there is no dramatic tension as to whether they are going to become a couple like they mm. obviously are. And, it, and, and it's not even particularly, the song does not transform anything. It's just, we're having a nice time. And all the songs are kind of like this. They're not really about anything. Yeah. The song, the, the whole movie opens with this really spectacular song and dance number on a freeway, which is probably like, took months to choreograph, cost an insane amount of money, has tons of dances and is like really spectacular. But I challenge anyone to come out of that movie and remember a single word. I can't, I, number one, I can hear any of the words. No. <laughs> number two. You can't hear the words because about, they're not it's important. Hot. It's hot. That's what the song was about. It's not, it's th- hot. like, nothing it's anyone hot says. On the, it's hot on the freeway. <laughs> what are we doing yeah. in the traffic jam? Like, nothing anyone sure says it. in the film, in song, matters. And it's yeah. so weird. And that's like, that is really unlike these other movies. Yeah. Like, that, 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 that's completely that different. It kind of undermines the genre as well. It really it's does. Really, it's quite problematic and it's quite cynical in that respect. Well, you know, like, towards... the, the, the songs are just used to, like, they're basically like underscoring but vocalized. And they are also used, which is even worse, to, like, cover up moments where otherwise they would have to have content. Mm. Because. Or conflict it, or things like that. You well, know, you can't have a moment in a film where people just like blah 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 <laughs> that's basically what it is. but you can do that in song because you're <laughs> distracted by the music mm. so there's like a couple of moments in the movie where rather than having you know story or character content there's just music like there's a bit in it where she goes to a party and you are you going to enter into like entirely into um it's like a music video mm. and it's just fun but it's like, what was the party like? In re- you know, yeah. there's always this tension between like the real world and like the world, you know, the music world, and like the music world kind of enhances the real world. Yeah. But in this, in this, what was what's the real world? What is it? I don't know. I think that's like another problem in that uh, musicals. Well, for me personally, I'm not a huge musical fan, but they put you at a slight distance because they're so artificial. But then it's like there's also a distance because it's like homaging a film I haven't seen, mm. and also that is like doubled down by how contrived the plot is. Yeah. So it's just so there's no truth to it at yeah, all. You can't no, yeah. connect to it. And I would say like Damien Chazelle is almost like a good director but a very flawed storyteller. And if someone else had written the script, I'd be like, he directed the hell out of this script, mm. but he wrote it. So I was like, you should have done a better job on that script, Damien. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I felt the same way about Whiplash. Like that was a really well directed movie but the story was really flawed and this is this but like almost more so because he's got more money and like he's given more free yeah. reign well yeah so it's just it's just amplified the problems of his debut yeah well like the thing about whip whiplash is that um it's problematic because it's like a pro-bullying film that's like about how like this a sadistic abusive tyrant is ultimately good for you know uh sure. musicians art and now I'm thinking that maybe that's not because he has a problematic view on it because it just doesn't he doesn't have a handle on his own material. Mm. He just wanted to do a thing with like cool scenes, and that like Whiplash yeah. is just some there's cool scenes in it. Do yeah. you, do you think with La La Land he thought of the scenes first and reverse engineered the plot around sequences? Yeah, well, completely. Yeah, mm. like I mean, yeah, the, the 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 whole movie is just items that you could basically rearrange without really affecting it. There's only one scene in it where. That with, with any drama to it at all and it feels really contrived because it kind of comes out of nowhere and like and mm. it, the conflict doesn't feel earned there's a lot of things that he could have explored as well like this whole theme of jazz as a kind of old and dying medium um it's just kind of presented and not and not at all yeah and using an old and like, dying form mm. of filmmaking to yeah. 
yeah explore but it. he doesn't yeah and it doesn't, it doesn't engage the whole idea of what you know what their the character's goals are and the dreams are and that you know the, and the whole thing about it being in la and stuff it isn't problematized at all like you know well like what's the, what's the, what's the there's a cliche associated with LA as being this like um, kind of encapsulation of that sort of American ideal of the big land of opportunity where you go to, uh, you know, for your dreams to come true, but also the super shallow, glitzy world of falseness and hollowness and stuff. And plenty of other things have explored the tension between those two aspects of LA. But in this movie, there is no tension between those two aspects. <laughs> They're, they're, they're complementary. There's if no anything. sense of it even navigating between one or the one or the other pole. It's just kind of no. It's just splattered on the. There is absolutely no difference in this film between pursuing your dreams and getting rich. <coughs> they're the same. Yeah, pretty. And I, like, I don't even understand how. Like, I don't even understand how you can make it like make it on those terms. Weird. So we didn't like it. It's basically like a feature length advert where there's no product. It's like yeah. at the end, if he was like McDonald's, it would, the whole movie would make sense. Oh. It would be like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. it's about how you're supposed to go to McDonald's. If he said, <laughs> I'm, if he said, I'm loving it at the end. Yeah, if he'd said, I'm loving it at the end, then the entire <laughs> film would make sense. But it, there, there's, instead, there's, it doesn't. So it's just, it's just completely. And that would be amazing if McDonald's had like snuck in this incredible marketing, <laughs> the biggest advert of all time as a prestige film. Yeah, that'd have been. Which it wow. effectively, it effectively is. So five thousand stars, so five thousand out of seven billion stars. I'd watch it as a, it's like a screensaver. I'd watch it as that screensaver. <laughs> I'd have it on the background. I'd watch it, but I don't want to listen to it. I would listen <laughs> to, it, pay pay to, it. to it, but it'd be pretty to have it on. <laughs> So, a uh, trailer dropped for a, a film I wasn't previously aware of, but is now my most anticipated film of 2017. A horror film called Clowntergeist, which <laughs> I think is probably the best title I've ever heard in my life. It is a good title. It's obviously a horror film. The synopsis is as follows. Emma, a college student with a crippling fear of clowns, must come face to face with her worst fear when an evil spirit in the body of a clown is summoned, terrorizing the town she calls home. Oh one by one, Emma and her friends receive a balloon with the exact time and date <laughs> of when it will appear to kill them written on it. After receiving her balloon... Emma realizes that she has two days left to live and must fight against the clock to find a way to survive. Also, here's a little bit of the trailer because the trailer is as good as that synopsis. He's demonic. He's possessed, but there was never an exorcism. It's a paranormal shitstorm, but physically he's still human. So if we shoot him? Then the demon leaves his body and he's dead. That sounds risky. It's the scariest film about receiving a balloon. So this got me thinking that... Clowns of Geist is an amazing title, and there must be more titles out there which combine scary things into one new word. And I challenged Sam to think of ones. Okay. I thought of some, and James is going to judge which one he thinks is the best. How should we do this? Should we do like list by list or like alternate? I've only got three. How many have you got? I got five. Oh, Fuck. That's absolutely crazy. Well, you, you start, and then I'll go, and then you go. You do the first and the last one, right? All right. Okay, my first uh, one. Don't drag you, Luke, now. It's just Donald Sutherland and Judy Christie getting stalked in Venice by a little Dracula in a red robe. Okay, I just went for Snake Acula. It's like, just like Dracula, but a snake. Okay, that's good. I'm glad we were going for Dracula. My next one is called Shallow Scene. It's like a cross scene in the movie The Shallows in the movie Halloween. 
It's it's the same as Halloween, but instead of Michael Myers, a shark. Cool. I just went for like all my ones are like monster base, so I went for Rapenstein. <laughs> That's like Frankenstein's monster, but it's just made out of rapists. Made out? Oh, I see. I see. <laughs> yeah, like nine different rapists That's have been made like, one monster, yeah. and they're all rapists. Every part of him is rapist. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty scary. Brilliant. Pretty scary. Here's my next one. Saws. It's like saw, but instead of jigsaw, it's a shark because it's like jaws. <laughs> okay, my final one is pedo angela. It's like a pedophile tarantula. That's good. It's Terrifying like... monster. Yeah. It's just like ripped from the headlines plus a monster. All right, I got two more. Okay. Cape Fiorana 3DD. <laughs> it's like Piranha 3DD, uh, but it's like Cape Fear. Across well, between the two. <laughs> So the piranha gets out of prison. The and... piranha gets out of prison <laughs> and it's got to stalk um, a family to the side of a lake in order to get, get into the lake. So it's like, because it's water-based. <laughs> of course. And also the whole family is like chicks with huge um, breasts. <laughs> um, we were, we were say dicks there, but... <laughs> <laughs> chicks with huge uh, dicks. You almost yeah, that. the, that's, why, that's, that's what the double D stands for. It's dick, dick. Um, and here's my last one. It's the anti-exorchrist. It's a cross between <laughs> antichrist and the exorcist. I haven't worked out what it's about. It's just really, really hard to watch. Well, I've got one one more, but uh, Dougal gave it to me, but he read it on a tweet, which is just Jim or Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> That's the winner. That's the winner. So the winner is whatever tweet that Dougal <laughs> found. Um, I also think that Rapenstein is good because that could be real. Oh, I see. But Saws was good. Thank you. All right. A time. Well, James. <laughs> I'm so glad you've come on this podcast. Yeah, thanks I for joining us, James. It wasn't boring for you. Medium. 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 Fuck off, medium. Fuck off. You're not coming back, mate. Fuck off. <laughs> literally, you think I'm joking, but I'm not. Um, thanks so much for joining us. Next week, we'll be reviewing... Well, I'm going to see Jackie with my mum. I want to see Manchester by the Sea. I've heard it's good, even though Casey Affleck is a sex assault guy. Yeah, that looks good. Also, the movie Christine's coming out next Friday, and I've already seen it, so I might just review it. All right, sure. Christine and Jackie, ladies, ladies' week. Yeah. Make it up for those lost words. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Making up for their lack of dialogue in 2016. Cool. Have a good one, guys. Bye. 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 We did it. All right. We weren't blessing record. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. 
It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.